Welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. My name is Nate. I'm the executive pastor at Grace Church. I'm here with the lead pastor of Grace Church, Sung Kim. And we are uh, sort of three sessions in, three episodes into season two of this podcast. And we've been talking about self-knowledge on a lot of different fronts, but we're primarily going to be using the Enneagram to sort of talk about how we can learn more about ourselves, um, learn more about others, learn more about God, kind of through the lens of the Enneagram, right? Yes, we are. So we did a broad overview last episode. If you're unfamiliar with the Enneagram, that's a great place to start because we kind of gave a broad overview of the entire sort of framework. Um, Again, reiterating that it is a tool, not the tool. Um, But we're going to start going number by number, right? And, uh, and talking a little bit more in depth about what each number means and some of the kind of overriding characteristics. Yep. So today, I should just say, by the way, Sung just rolled in from Grand Rapids like minutes ago. He pulled into the parking lot and we stepped into the recording booth. So if he's a little slow on the draw, <laughs> you know why. Um, we're talking about the number one. Type one. Type one. Why, why do you think type one is labeled number one? Because it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special guest each week as we t- discover these types. And today's guest for type one is... Nate Kimball. Oh. Here I am. <laughs> so, again, a bit of review, but the type one, you could call it the perfectionist, the reformer, uh, the idealist. Uh, they, they have this deep desire to be good and to be right. You know, some characteristics of them is they're, 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 they're cautious and careful. They're very critical and perfectionistic and, and, and idealistic, and they want to have and be a person of integrity. And so some just... You know, I'll just name off some qualities of a one, and then Nate, you tell me like, oh yeah, this really resonates, or I'm not sure about that. That that's interesting. But ones are you number one. Usually, uh, ones are very principled. They want to lead by example, and they value integrity. And so they they want to stand for what is right and good in the world and in themselves. Another one is they're very conscientious. You know, they're reliable. They're responsible. Uh, they, they stick to their word and they want to see things through all the way to the end. Um, thirdly, I would say they are structured. Um, they like uh, uh, they enjoy opportunities to bring order and structure to the world. And um, yeah, and another one is they, they are quality minded. Um, they want to pay attention to the quality and standards of like everything. Um, and, and then maybe last quality is just uh, they, they, they see and judge uh, they're, they're objective. Uh, they see details and people and situations uh, objectively, even though we're, no one is objective. Yeah. They, they bring a very objective view. Yeah, or at least that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much a laundry list. I think <laughs> the people that know me best would be like, yeah, that, that is uh, that maybe I don't, this is so funny. This is very one. Maybe I don't do all these things as well as I would like, but that's, <laughs> that certainly is my, certainly is kind of like the, the, the values and the principles that, that motivate a lot of my actions. I think what's so fascinating when I look at these is that, and I think we're probably going to get to this, but there's a, there's a regular sort of internal critical voice mm. of a one. 
And so there's a difference between doing these things in an attempt to sort of be righteous and generous versus wanting to do these things to sort of silence the inner critic, Mm. right? And and learning to, to, for one, to learn to operate out of that different place, at least in my experience, has made all the difference between being satisfied and hating myself, basically. <laughs> yeah, so that inner critic can really lead to like a self-contempt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the irony is that for much of my life, my desire to be good was largely driven by the inner kind of core confidence that I was sort of like evil and unredeemable to mm. my core. Um, again, thankfully, I'm in a healthier place, but that can absolutely be how those two things interplay. And it's it's why it's helpful to talk about um, motivations instead of just behaviors right. because my behavior looked the same um, kind of all the way across. Interesting. But, but as an unhealthy one, the place that it came from was regularly bringing death and mm-hmm. destruction instead of bringing life to myself and those around me. So at their worst, tell me a little bit about um, type ones. Like what, like describe a type one at their worst. Not, not you, of course, but a yeah, type right. One. An- another, <laughs> a different type one at their worst. Well, I, I think, um, I, I think that the obsession with standards and kind of seeing everything as there is a right way and a wrong way can make a one very, very hard to deal with because there isn't any sort of room for grace or mistakes or. Um, and the, in, in, when, when we're not doing well, the criticism we level on ourselves also begins to be leveled on others. Mm. And so my family has at times experienced me as being sort of relentlessly critical. And, uh, when I'm so obsessed about there is a right way to do this and we're only going to do it this one way, that sort of unyielding, again, if my principle is to, to be sort of structured and quality minded and principled, that unyielding nature can cause a lot of hurt. Mm. I.e. judgment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there will be times where, where my wife would, we would be in a conversation and then she would just stop and say, I, I can't believe you would say that to me. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, well, it's the truth. Like, this is what's happening. And, but again, you know, it's coming from a place of sort of uh, strict order um, and criticism, judgmentalism, instead of like, hey, let's, how do we, how do we proceed towards righteousness together? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. So le- uh, let me just describe maybe patterns of thinking and feeling and acting as a one. We'll, we'll kind of go one by one, and, and then just flesh out like um, what this looks like for you as a one. Okay. So in terms of thinking, uh, and, and this is going to be a bit like, we, we, you've said this before, but type ones, the way they think is, is they want to live according to uh, the rules. And so they, they develop this internal kind of scorecard against which they measure themselves and other people. You know, there, there's a strong sense of right, and wrong and, and, and really high standards with everything. And so like you were saying, the way they think is they, they have this inner critic uh, and, and that compels them to for, focus on things, whether, you know, uh, things are done well enough, uh, whether it, uh, and there's an eye on how things can 
improve. And so the inner dialogue, there's a lot of, well, I should, I, I must, I, I ought to. Yeah. How, how does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, one of the clearest examples for me is both in my work at the church and work at the farm. Those, the, the jobs never end. Right. There's never, it's never like, okay, it's all finished. It does for some types. Yeah. For some types <laughs> when you clock out, uh, as most good pastors do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so if the rule is like these things should be done, it can be very hard f- for my, my instinct is never to say, you know what? It's going to be okay. That can slide mm-hmm. for a week or that can slide till tomorrow. I almost at my worst, I never say that. And I just work myself to the bone because there's always, uh, there's always more to do. And if my job is to be running the farm or fulfilling my role and there is no end to that, I will just labor to the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. which yeah. I've done. You've seen me do it. I, you know, I was going to say, I see your bones right now. Yeah. Yeah. It feels <laughs> that way sometimes. Uh, so what, what practices have you implemented in your life to help you tame that mm-hmm. side of you? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most significant one is self-compassion. 100% it's self-compassion, which is, uh, you know, I, I can be very compassionate to other people. Um, when I'm, you know, if someone explains sort of why they can't do this or that, I can be very understanding, learning to reflect that back on myself and say, well, you know, like it's okay that you're tired. It's, or it's okay that your week ran this way. It's okay for you to not now work another hour or two on this thing and to let it go. So self-compassion has been the primary strategy. And that is usually having my first thought not be my last thought. My first thought, I like stop and I look at it and I ask myself, is this a compassionate sort of reflection on myself or is this my inner critic who's doing the talking? Yeah. Um, and that pause has, has made a huge difference. Yeah. That's one strategy. I, I, I like that. That first word not being your last word, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So patterns of feelings for ones, um, they like to keep their emotions under control, uh, even though underneath they may experience a lot of anger and and they rarely express it. Um, and it's, their anger is often triggered by how things should be. Oh yeah. (laughs) Heck yeah. And have a difficult time just accepting things as they are. Yeah. Yeah. On the plus side, you know, you can have a one who will take on a, a cause and fight relentlessly for it. You can see how that flows very, very naturally um, because there's a way that things should be and we do feel things so strongly, even if it's under the surface, that you will get someone who will fight for a cause just absolutely relentlessly and that can be a good thing. Um, But uh, it also does tend to drift into anger very, very easily. You know, kind of like, I can see the way this should be. Why don't you see that? And why, more importantly, why aren't you acting like you know this is the way that it should be? Yeah. And, and that's why type one, again, is called the reformer or the idealist. Yeah. yeah because absolutely. that's the drive. Absolutely. And so, um, I mean, one thing I have noticed is that as I've practiced self-compassion, I have learned to be more compassionate with others. Uh, and that makes me less angry. You know, if my kids forget to do a chore or if I feel like Amy isn't, my wife isn't really giving me the attention that I need or that I want, um, I'm able to also pause there and say, okay, like before you get angry, let's look at this through the lens of compassion. And that, that helps a ton. Yeah. I I think one thing with the ones, especially when it comes to expressing their anger, it's usually pretty well thought through. 
Yeah. Right. It, it's oh, we not, we it's, will spend a long time <laughs> thinking about how angry we are. <laughs> I mean, we'll look at it from every angle. And make sure that your anger is justified. That's right. Not only is it justified, but we know exactly what we would say if we had the opportunity. <laughs> well, and, and the, the other pattern of feelings for, for a one is as much as they strive for perfection and self-improvement and they're very highly self-critical, they do dislike it when somebody points out their imperfections, right? Oh, absolutely. And there can be a tendency to be, uh, to be defensive and, uh, yeah. Tell us more about that. Well, I, it reminds me, I may have shared this story on the podcast once before, but you and I were in some sort of a, a disagreement over the phone. And when I got off, I was angry and I was, uh, talking to my wife about it. And she was like, um, did you get really defensive? And I was just like, Oh, I know I did like all of these things that all this, this conversation turned sideways because I just was so defensive. And I don't even think again, through a clear lens, I don't even think you were being critical in a way that was, um, that was personal, um, or even inappropriate necessarily. But the, a one's first, again, instinct is to get defensive and sort of like put up the shield because the, the, the image of perfectionism is so important, right? That you just, it's, it's really hard to be confronted with, uh, an imperfect reality. And yeah. so it's easier to get angry and blame someone else. <laughs> Thankfully, I've never done that with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do remember, uh, in the context of our work and in the office, uh, like how, I don't know if it was the first time, but it was the first time that I recognized, like I, I gave, I gave you some, uh, in, in my, from my, uh, view, like some constructive criticism. And I remember you just were silent. And I remember sometime later, like just coming to understand like, Oh, okay. He's so self-critical. And I, th- I think you even explained to me, like the reason why you're so self-critical as a one is like that, that's just to even, uh, make sure that, your own self-criticalness uh, is more critical than anything that anybody else could say. It's a form of self-protection, yeah. right? It's a it's a form of, of not being vulnerable to say, well, if I've already criticized myself about this, then it's not going to hurt when somebody else says it because I've already thought it. Yeah. I mean, again, that's not true, but, that, but that's <laughs> but that's the way that it, that's the way that it functions. Yeah, and when it comes to like action and patterns of uh, uh, how ones uh, act. I think the the phrase of that that cliche of if something is worth doing, it's worth doing correctly. Yeah, probably applies. Absolutely, right? <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, and that's another area where I I've really had to learn to give myself compassion and and in turn give it to other people. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can always, again, blessing and curse, I can always think of a way to do it better. I can always think of a way to do it better. And uh, and if I'm not careful, I'll just keep putting that out there. And it feels like for my kids or whatever, like nothing is ever good enough, right? Because there's always a way to do it just a little bit better. Yeah. So tell, tell me how, let's say your family members or people around you, when they experience, when, <coughs> excuse me, when they experience you at your best, what's it like? And then when they experience you at your worst? I think when, when um, people experience me at my best, being a one allows me to sort of draw, um, large sort of principled conclusions from data 
in in some ways, you know, kind of a, a principled, structured, like a desire to bring order lets me look at lots and lots of variables and sort of build a cohesive narrative about like, I think this is what's going on. Almost a, like a, a level of wisdom or insight that I think a lot of ones have. And at my best, I think that clarity helps others find clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think that a lot of people rely on me to figure out uh, one of the best ways to get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and then at my best, I do that in a way that's sort of engaging and lighthearted and sort of, um, you know, collaborative and sort of kind of is like, we can do this. Here's how we do it. Here's the plan. Let's go for it. Um, I think that's kind of specific to a one at my worst. I have that sort of plan in my head and I just relentlessly criticize other people (laughs) because they're not doing it. You know, um, I think, you know, animal care on the farm is a big one that, uh, I, I was, oh my gosh, I don't know if I shared this, but, um, for my birthday, my family took all of the animal chores for two weeks. That was my birthday gift this year. And, uh, usually I do all the animal chores. I love to be outside, you know, um, I'm a real animal lover, so it, it doesn't feel like a burden, but over the past year, literally with no breaks, it started to feel like a burden. And so for my birthday, my family said they would do it for two weeks. Those first three days, they were brutal for me. I, I am telling you, I had to talk it through with Amy every single time, morning and evening. Like, look, I know like it's eight o'clock and the kids are still in bed and like the animals are hungry. And you know, like there, in my mind, there was a right way to care for all of those critters and nobody in my family was doing it as well as I could or as well as they should have. And at my worst, that's what they experience. I'm holding an ideal, sometimes unexpressed, and that's really the worst. I'm, I'm holding in my head an unexpressed ideal or expectation, and I just criticize people until they either rise to the challenge or cut me out of their life. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so how, how does it apply when you're taking care of the other critters in your house called kids? Yeah, that is, uh, man, again, I think, and we'll experience this with all of the numbers, but mm-hmm. being a healthy version of yourself is a tremendous blessing. Yeah. And um, again, I think that when it comes to navigating my children through difficult issues, whether that's growing up or relationships or, you know, the inflamed political rhetoric that we're living in, um, I think I'm, I'm well equipped to sort of talk through principles, to look at things objectively, to help them navigate disagreements between themselves, to figure out how to kind of keep the house running uh, smoothly. Um, and at my best, I think that's what they experience. Again, at my worst, they never do anything right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a, they will, they will certainly, <laughs> they will certainly say that they have lived under that version. Of <laughs> yeah. And so, um, like some of this is going to start to sound repetitive, but I, I think it's going to drive home the point that like, as we, as, as we look at this from all sorts of different angles and nuances, like the ones that are listening will be like, Oh my goodness, this is me. Yeah. And the ones yeah. who aren't are like, ah, you know? Yeah. So like as a type, as a type one, like the way you get like what you want, uh, you want ones usually 
what they do is they behave and they focus on following the rules in order to get what they want. Oh, heck yeah. That was my entire childhood, man. <laughs> okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was, a, I was a rule follower. And like I said, I just tried to perform at the highest level possible because that was the only way that I felt I was going to get attention from mm. teachers or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Boy, it was the opposite for me. I had to rebel to get attention. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and when one's, don't get what they want. Um, and, and again, you, you, I think you said this already, but like they usually focus on who's wrong, uh, what the right way is to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, what are some things um, that trigger a one? I mean, it's probably easier to come up with a list of things that don't trigger a one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I, I would say, honestly, injustice. Uh, mm -hmm. injustice and that can be small injustices or large injustices um, because there's something wrong yes in the there world. is something that is so it can be as small as like being treated poorly in a restaurant like mm -hmm. that like that can that can be an injustice that or it can be something like we're seeing on the news whether it's black lives matter or you know um, i mean whichever whichever end of the political spectrum you're on there are things that are not as they should be and so a one in either of those uh, sort of places will is definitely being triggered right now. Mm -hmm. Definitely being triggered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like we talked about, other things I could think of just from a um, from an outside perspective is yeah, again being tr uh, being criticized, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yep. Yep. Uh, or other people not following through on what they they say they said they were going to do. I, I, well, I, that's a huge one. Keeping promises uh -huh. is is huge to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even even down to, and this is where we, like, you see the dark underbelly, like being on time. Mm -hmm. Being on time for me is huge. Um, I am not always on time, and I kick myself every time that I'm late. Uh, but I also have a tendency to turn that on other people, which is like, why couldn't, why couldn't you be here on time? Yeah. You know, yeah. so those small, those small things. I, I mean, I was going to say a lack of timeliness and punctuality, right. Yeah. And, and you just named it. Yeah. And, and here's the interesting thing too, as an eight, I experienced that too, but again, uh, for very different reasons, but with the whole t timeliness thing, I mean, you know, my, my kids, like we, <laughs> my, my son will always say, Oh, we're getting there early, so we're we're on time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. My goal is to be uh, somewhere ten ten to fifteen minutes early, regardless. Yeah, that's really what I shoot for. How about this? Um, Non-collaborative changes of plans. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I don't do that too much. <laughs> that was actually probably one of the first uh, disagreements that we had. Was it? Yeah, because you you do, you're a little bit of fly by the seat of your pants yeah. when it comes to making plans. Uh -huh. uh, the board meeting last night was an example where I was, you're sending links to different like Zoom calls and Google meetups and you're canceling things. And, uh, you know, that doesn't bother you. But for me, it, it's it, a lot of stress. Yeah. A, a part of it is that I, as a perfectionist, I want to be prepared. And mm -hmm. so last minute changes leave me feeling unprepared. Um, and then also it's as simple as there is a right and there's and wrong way. Like changes of plans should, should sort of be discussed by everyone involved mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Everybody, you should have agreement. Um, and uh, again, that's not always true. I want to be clear. All the ones are like, well, that is the way that it should be. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, sometimes those things are unavoidable and it's best to not be immediately triggered by them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So I, let's let's talk, let's talk on the. I mean, we've talked about this, but um, you know the 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 virtues that one brings. You know, they're, they're driven by this need to be good and um, like just uh, the, just this like a, not an unhealthy perfection. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, exp- flesh that out a little bit more about like when when ones are living into like the way God created them to be. And, and how does goodness express itself? Yeah. The, the thing that I, that I kind of immediately think of is that, you know, um, Paul talks about how we're sort of, well, there's a broad kind of framework that we're kind of living in the, the, the here and, and the, the not yet, Mm -hmm. right. That, that we have a part of God's promise of restoration, um, but we don't see it fully. And I think one of the good things that a one brings is that in some ways they can easily see what should be. And so it's not just about, it, it isn't just about sort of personal desires always. It isn't always about um, kind of a sort of a selfish, you know, it's often saying like, this is the way that, that if, if the kingdom were now, it would look like this. And being able to put that out there um, for people to kind of catch hold of or being able to work towards that, I think really does move towards bringing God's kingdom yeah. into the here and now. Right. Um, and that is one way that that I do know ones regularly can bring goodness into the world. Yeah. So uh, last question or um, last thing to flesh out. When you think of, if you're a one, uh, for the, those who are listening, and you want to grow in more Christ-likeness, um, some thoughts I have, um, and I would love you to interact with, with, uh, she's oh, that meant an email came through. Did you hear that? I did. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one as a one, um, you know, like just learn to be spontaneous, <laughs> spontaneous and, and explore different options, like kind of loosen up and, and be spontaneous as one. Uh, another I, one. That's a horrible idea. Is no, it? No, 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 it's a great idea. It's just really hard to do. Is right? it? Oh yeah, it's really hard to do. How do you prepare for spontaneity? <laughs> <laughs> How do I know if I'm doing spontaneity right? <laughs> oh my goodness! I had a roommate in college who was is probably a one. I'm not sure, but he lived with uh, three of us who were just unruly, rebellious. Just uh, you know, and we all went um, canoeing one time. Oh boy! And uh, like the, the the big guy, he's like man, like six over six feet tall. He he's in the middle, and we we're going through some like you know, rough waters and we end up flipping and the whole time, (laughs) Paul, it's like, Hey guys, guys, you know, he's just freaking out in the back and we're just laughing. And the more we're laughing, the more we're rocking the boat. And we eventually, eventually flip over (laughs) and we, we, we come up and we're like my, my, the, the other guy, Eddie and I, we're just like laughing up a storm. Oh my goodness. That was so fun. That was so amazing. Paul gets up. He's like, guys, I told you. Yeah. He's probably mad. Yeah. And yeah. then like an hour later, we're, we're, we're continuing to canoe down. He's like, Hey guys, we should plan to flip over again. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, Oh I my love goodness. It. I love Paul. It. Synchronize watches. <laughs> we will be flipping at three twenty-three PM. <laughs> yeah. There's another uh, person who on, our staff that's a one and, and she would say the same thing too like man being spontaneous is so hard it's really hard yeah. but but i will say there are a, a lot of other numbers that 
that see spontaneity as um, uh, they, it's a way that they receive affection or care. And so it is a skill that a one should learn because there's a good chance that there are people in your life for whom it will be a, a tremendous blessing. Especially I'll, if you're married to a especially seven. Especially if you are married to a seven, 100%. <laughs> And in that sense too, and again, the, the work, like what God does in marriage is, uh, you, he builds more Christ-likeness into you through yeah, your spouse. Absolutely. Not just through like pain, but right. sometimes through like really good positive things. Me learning to be spontaneous. Yeah. So that's a good practice. Another one I could think of is just, uh, embracing multiple points of view. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, maybe, uh, like you were, uh, again, some of these, I'm kind of drawing out from things that you have said too, but just focusing on other people's needs, you know, the, the, the practice of compassion. Yeah. Yep. That's really good. That's really good. I think the other thing that, that, um, for, that has helped produce Christ-like behavior in my, well, no, no, that's not quite how I want to say it. Uh, there's a better way. So, um, uh, there's always a better there's way, always right? a better way, uh, <laughs> you know, for me, Studying the life of Jesus has been so powerful because as a one, my internal voice of criticism very easily gets associated with God, saying God is that internal voice of criticism. And so for me, learning and studying the life of Jesus is in direct contrast to my inner, uh, you know, critic. And by doing that, I'm able to, it, it helps break sort of the cycle of God is disappointed in me. Like I should be reading my Bible more. I should be giving more. I should be serving more. All of those things that a one will tend to tell themselves about their faith journey. When you see Jesus lavish compassion on people who did not deserve it, it forces you to, to, to uh, contrast that at least for me, it forces me to contrast that to the, the critical God that I've sort of manufactured in my own head. Yeah, that's good. So any of you listeners who are ones, uh, feel free to reach out. We'd love to talk to you, get to know you and uh, help, help you navigate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And next week, we're going to talk about the two, which is the the considerate helper. And we're going to have another special guest. That's uh, right. Not either of us, but somebody nope. else that we're, I'm really excited to interview and talk through. And you're going to have to tune in to hear who that special guest That's is. That's right. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode of Rhythm, Rhythms of Grace. We hope uh, you check us out next time as well.